0: The following Sunday School Session is part of our study of the I Am Statements of Jesus. For more information, visit our website at www.graceprovidencechurch.org.
1: This morning our text comes to us in John uh, chapter 10, 11-16. I am the Good Shepherd... And this is our text. If somebody will read that for us.
0: I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold, I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd.
1: Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Well, in the Greek, it looks like this. Uh, Our very familiar now, ego ami, the I am. And in the Greek, it is I am the shepherd good. The shepherd good, his life, lays down for the sheep. So their sentence structure is a bit foreign to us, but that's the way it would have appeared to them. Now, uh, shepherd is another one of the images that Christ is painting for us. Uh, When the patriarch Jacob was near his death, he sought to have God bless his twelve sons pastor told us about the 12 sons a couple of weeks back. They are the founding of the 12 tribes of the nation of Israel. And he sought at the end of his life to have God bless them. And this is the way he put it. He said, May the God before whom my grandfather Abraham and my father Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life Mm -hmm. to this very day, bless these boys. Well, the the term shepherd appears some sixty-one times in the scriptures, but it is alluded to indirectly many, many more times, and we'll see some of that today. Uh, Mr. Hens tells us that uh, although the Bi- uh, all throughout the Bible, it uses his shepherd as the image of those who were leaders. And Juan last week was telling us about the Pharisees, the priests. Uh, uh, Herod and all those who led Israel in some way or another were regarded as shepherds of the people. And he, he tells us here that Adam, in a sense, was the first shepherd. He named the animals and cared for them in the garden. And then, of course, Noah, when the flood came, <coughs> Noah cared for the animals in the ark. God used him to preserve them. And all of, many of the leading characters, surely Abraham, uh, Isaac, and Jacob, they were all shepherds. And the two, most, uh, the two greatest leaders in the Old Testament, Moses and David. In the introduction, we saw that Moses had to flee from Egypt because he killed the Egyptian. And when he was in Midian, he married, had a family, and he was tending, he was shepherding the flock of his uh, father-in-law, Jethro, in Midian. And of course, David, we know that before he was king, he was a shepherd boy for his family and minded the flock's. And protected them from the lions and the bears. And now the first thing that comes into our mind. I think when you read that is. Lions and bears. There's no lions and bears in Israel. But there was. lion. The lion that was in Israel. Was called the Asiatic lion. It's extinct in Israel today. It's extinct in all of the world. Except for a province in India. Where they still exist. But they did exist in this land at the time. Bears bears. It's the brown bear. It's, a, it's a, a family of the brown bear. It is also extinct in Israel today, but it does exist in Iran and in Turkey and some even in Syria, although very rare. But they were very real in the, in the time that the scriptures were written. Uh, we, the psalmist tells us, that for he is our God and we are the people he watches over. The flock under his care. Now see this is an allusion to God as a shepherd. And it's not shepherd isn't in the passage. But shepherd is implied in the passage. Later on the psalmist says. Know that Yahweh himself is God. He, it is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Another allusion to God as the shepherd of the people. Okay, and then we get to Isaiah, of course. All we like sheep. <laughs> I can almost hear the music. Uh, all we like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But Yahweh has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. I love the book of Isaiah. It, it, there is so much of Christ in Isaiah, perhaps more than any other. <laughs> place in the Old, in the old Testament. Uh, of course, it's forward-looking. Isaiah is 700 years before Christ comes. But we learn so much about Jesus in the book of Isaiah. He tells us a lot about it. Well, sheep, of course. We're hearing a lot about sheep. And, of course, to, to Pastor Worsby, uh, a flock of sheep is one of the most familiar metaphors in Scripture for the people of God. The Old Testament believer would pray, give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead uh, Joseph like a flock. And of course, in the New Testament, now we're considering today, Christ as the good shepherd and the church as his flock, which we'll be seeing. Now, references to sheep appear some 500 times in the scriptures, and many, many of those refer to God's people rather than the animal sheep. (laughs) one of the reasons I think that Christ identifies himself as the good shepherd is because Israel had had so many bad ones that uh, the good shepherd was a contrast and uh, certainly something different from that Uh, Ezekiel warning those shepherds says what sorrow awaits you shepherds who feed yourselves instead of your flocks shouldn't shepherds feed the sheep you drink the milk, you wear the wool, you butcher the best animals, but you let your flocks starve. Now, that's a scathing uh, accusation against the shepherds of Israel. And, of course, this is in Ezekiel's time, some 600 years before Christ. And by the time Christ comes around, it's even worse uh, than it was. I was talking to William earlier, and I said, in Zechariah, we get to Zechariah another 100 years along. Zechariah is warning them too, woe to those shepherds who uh, desert the flock, right? So it was a pretty serious situation, shepherd-wise, in, in Israel at, at this time. Uh, Jesus tells us that the hireling makes a very poor shepherd. And the reason for that is that he has no vested interest in the sheep. Uh, a shepherd who owns the sheep is going to be much more likely to want to protect the sheep, right? Right? But even that, he may not be willing to risk his life for the sheep. I mean, they're they're sheep after all. Uh, But uh, David tells us, I have been a shepherd tending the flock, uh, uh, tending the sheep of my father. Whenever a lion or a bear came and took a lamb from the flock, I'd go after it. I'd knock it down and rescue the lamb. If it turned on me, I would grab it by the throat, wring its neck and kill it. God delivered me from the teeth of the lion and the claws of the bear. Now, this lion, according to uh, what I was reading about them when they did exist in Israel, the, these weighed near some near uh, 400 pounds. So these were not little little lions, and and the bears kind of the same thing. They were small for brown bears, but they were still in the three 400 pound range. So David was quite the uh, uh, he was risking his life. <clears throat> now David then we see is a good shepherd because he was willing to risk his life for the sheep. But Christ is the great shepherd because he laid down his life for the sheep. John tells us that we know the love of God because he laid down his life for us. That is the way we know he loves us for he gave his life. Uh Paul uh, or John in his gospel says, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Well, Paul later uh, telling the Romans, he says, a man would probably be pretty reluctant to lay down his life even for a righteous man, much less his enemies. But the real miracle is that while we were the enemies of God, God commended his love for us. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Miracle. Barclay tells us that in the Greek, there's two words for good. One is agathos, which simply describes the moral quality of a thing. Uh, Virtue was called the good. So we have the good book, the good doctor, good this, good that. So anything that displayed a moral uh, uh, standard, a high moral standard, or a virtue's qualities was considered the good. And that was one of the words. The other word is kalos. Now kalos originally was used to describe great works of art. It is also a moral good, but it has an emphasis on that which is admirable, beautiful, precious. So when Jesus describes himself as the good shepherd, the word is kalos. In him there's more than a moral goodness. There's a beauty as well as strength and power. So, MacArthur tells us that the phrase lays down his life is unique in John's writings and to John's writings. And it always refers to a voluntary uh, sacrificial death. Hmm. Jesus gave his life for his sheep because they were chosen to become part of his flock. The word for, lays down his life for the sheep, uh, (coughs) is the Greek word "hooper." And that has the meaning of in the place of, instead of, or on behalf of. All of those which speak of Christ's willingness to be the substitutionary death. uh, His life laid down for his sheep. Uh, Pastor Worsby tells us this great sort of irony here. In the old covenant, the sheep were slain for the shepherds. But in the new covenant, the good shepherd gives himself for the sheep. Everything's turned around. And turned upside down. What uh, what an incredible irony this is that the uh, the good shepherd should become the sacrificial lamb. John declares, "Behold, the Lamb of God takes away the sin of the world." Ah, amazing. So Jesus continues then to say. I'm the good shepherd, I know my own. He might well have said, I know those I own. Jesus has a vested interest in the sheep. He paid for them dearly with his life. So the sheep are known by Christ. He says, I know my sheep. But of course, Christ being God is omniscient. So in one sense, he knows all men. But in this sense, the Lord knows his sheep distinctly as his own in a way that he does not know those who are not his sheep, to whom one day he will say, depart from me, I never knew you. Horrible words that we never want to hear. As we continue, he says, uh, conversely, that my own uh, know me as well. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. So here we know the sheep know the shepherd too. Christ is known by those for who he died. We know him personally. And his sheep will hear his voice when he calls them. You remember Juan was telling us that in the pen for the nighttime for keeping the sheep, there may be more than one group of sheep in the pen. But when their shepherd showed up at the door of the pen, they heard his voice and they would follow him. They wouldn't follow the other shepherd. His sheep would. But the sheep of the shepherd would follow, follow him.
2: Jim? I, dogs are like this too, but I, I think animals in general. Like, there's a dog across the street from us. We watch him when his family goes out of town. And he'll be at our house. He's having a great time. We call his name. He loves us. But he'll hear their car pull up. Mm-hmm. Ah, but when we don't even hear it, and he gets excited because he knows that's, it's that's their Yeah,
1: he knows they're coming back. Yeah, that's uh, that's true, and I, we need to be listening for that voice as well, and recognizing it when it talks to us in that still small, still small voice. Now, a simile: Jesus put on corruptible flesh. The Old Testament shepherds would make clothing from the wool of the sheep that they tended, so the sheep would not only recognize their voice they would recognize the scent of the shepherd as well because he would wear clothing made from the wool that came from those, those sheep and they would recognize, just as the lambs recognize the moms and so forth. So uh, Jesus clothed himself in humanity that he might, it w- he would be hard to recognize as glory. <laughs> I mean, you'd recognize glory, but he'd be hard to approach. <laughs> So we're told that after he has gathered his flock, he walks ahead of them and they follow him because they know his voice. Now, back to lovely Isaiah. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom. And shall gently lead those who are with young.
2: Oh,
1: I love Isaiah. This, you might recognize, is one of the most beautiful arias in Handel's oratorio, Messiah. And, of course, we always hear it performed, or it's usually performed around Christmas time. It's become kind of a tradition to have sing-alongs and things like that. And, of course, we all know it as Handel's Messiah. He is the one credited for it. Handel wrote all the music for Messiah. But a man named Charles Jennings wrote, or rather assembled, the scriptures that are the text of Messiah. Um, every word in the oratorio is from the scriptures. Now, Charles Jennings was a lifelong friend of the composers. He wrote many of the libretti that were uh, Handel's works. Uh, and, uh, but few people would know his name. Handel's known around the world, but Mr. Jennings is hardly known at all. Now, I once responded to the classical radio station. They sent out a word, and they said, if you were stranded on a desert island, what one piece of music would you want to have with you? Now, the Messiah is the most wonderful exposition of Christ from the Old to the New Testament. And so I told them, I said, the one who brought water from a rock to feed the, the children in the wilderness. And the one who sent birds with food for the prophet Elijah by the river. That's the one you want to have with you if you're stranded on the desert island. <laughs> I don't know if anybody read that or if they got to anybody or not. But that's what I told them. Oddly enough, when Handel's Messiah was first performed, many of the clergymen were totally against it. Ter- terribly critical of it. Uh, In fact, John Newton refused to have it performed in his church. His objection and their objection was that the performance aspect of it, many of the performances were not in churches, but in music halls, and also that the music was distracting from uh, the texts. And so they were, again, uh, in the early days, many of them, uh, Newton certainly. But a 100 years later, Charles Spurgeon felt totally differently. In one of his sermons, he said this, When I have listened to Handel's music in the Messiah, where that great musician wakes every instrument to praise the name of Jesus, I have felt ready to die with excess delight that such music should ever have been composed by mortal man to the honor of our great Messiah. So, quite a different feeling about it now. It it set me wondering what Newton would think about what's been done with Amazing Grace. (laughs) He would probably be flipping out (laughs) if he was not happy with Handel's performance. I mean, this is performed everywhere. The bagpipes play it. Everybody plays it. And nobody thinks about what it is. They cut the verses out. They don't respect it really in any way. But... uh, yeah, that's, a, that's an interesting thing. Now, today for us, it's mostly performed in an operatic style, and that's hard for us to hear, because we're just not used to that anymore. But, if you're interested, in the early 80s, a group of popular Christian musicians did a version of Messiah. It's all there. They didn't mess up any of the words, but it has a rock band, 400 person, choir, uh, and some very notable Christian musicians. And it was called The Young Messiah, and it toured the country. They played in the Anaheim uh, Convention Center. Uh, and if you can find it, it's a, I think it's 1982, because there's, uh, there's newer versions of Young Messiah that are not nearly as good. But if you listen to that, it's very accessible. And they sing in normal voice. And the music, uh, there's guitars and drums and basses, and Phil Driscoll's in it, he's a trumpet player. And I think you'll enjoy it. You'll, you can get to the texts, which are just wonderful. Now, I told you that Newton hated it and wouldn't have it performed, but he preached 50 sermons from the texts of it. it probably criticizing all the way, but he, he saw fit to preach some 50 sermons. So... Where have we gotten to now? Other sheep. There's other sheep. Jesus tells us, And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice, so there will be one flock, one shepherd. I love those (laughs) faces. Now, some people have twisted themselves into pretzels trying to determine who these other sheep are. In fact, some have gone so far as to say, this is is making a reference to life on other planets. (laughs) That's the other sheep, right? Oh, please, dear hearts. (laughs) Some of those other sheep are in this room right now. Okay. So rest assured, it's pretty easy to figure out. Now, and this should not have been... This should not have been a a problem for them when they heard him say this. I have other sheep, but it shouldn't be a problem for anybody. Like I said, 700 years earlier, Isaiah said this, I will also make make you Messiah, a light of the nations, the Gentiles, so that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. This was prophesied 700 years before and should have been very evident to them. Later in Isaiah, the Septuagint tells us, those who have never been told about him will see, and those who have never heard of him will understand. That's talking beyond, beyond Israel. uh, Those who have never heard, and those who don't know. Ironically, in Jesus' time, the high priest, Caiaphas, he prophesied unknowingly, uh, John gives us the inside story here. He quotes Caiaphas as saying, "Don't you realize that it's better for you that one man should die for the people than for the whole nation to be destroyed?" And then John gives us the inside story. He says he did not say this on his own. As high priest at the time, he was led to prophesy that Jesus would be would die for the entire nation, and not only that nation, but to bring together all. Uh, And unite all the children of God scattered around the world. And scattered through time. And here we are. And here we are. In spite of himself, he told us what was going to (coughs) happen. And a hundred years after Isaiah, Ezekiel tells us, I myself will search and find my sheep. I will be like a shepherd looking for his scattered flock. I will find my sheep and rescue them from all the places where they have been scattered. Mm. That's encouraging. I forgot to mention when we were talking about David. David was the perfect, he's the prototype or the foreshadowing of Christ. And he left the and 99 to go and retrieve the one that the bear or the lion had snatched away. And that, what an example uh, that we see later. Uh, in our
2: Lord, Jim. Could I interject something here? Mm-hmm. So he says uh, he has other sheep that are not of this fold. This fold being his Jewish <laughs> believers. Right. The other sheep are Gentiles. Mm-hmm. Right. But they shall have; bo- it'll become one flock with one shepherd. But this shepherd. is a false teaching in Ephesians two. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That he's brought together Jew and Gentile into one body. Yes. I think it's wonderful how the Lord Jesus Christ gives us the theology that Paul later develops yeah. for us in his letters. Yeah. Same thing. Yes. Same teaching. Oh yes. Right. Yes. There is now neither Jew nor Greek, right? God yes. nor
0: free. Now right. we're free nor yes. We're all. Yes. And then he's broken down the barrier between
1: the two, yeah. which yeah. was the Old Testament. Right? Yeah. So much for separate people. <laughs> it's all all for one and one for all.
3: Jim, right. Jim. yes. Yeah, quick question in regard of Isaiah 52:15. Uh, um, the prophecy at that moment—it's uh, after the second coming—and mm-hmm. uh, what you were saying. And now, so that is for those that never heard yes. of him and never knew him. But that means salvation is over at that moment for them, for the ones that will understand, and they will actually, um, it has never been told about him, and they will, they will see. And they will uh, never hurt, and will understand. But that understanding doesn't include uh, salvation for them. Or how is that? I, I don't... Oh, well,
1: I, he, because he's, he's really talking about the sheep. Mm-hmm. So it does. I mean, they will be gathered into the flock. He's talking about the other sheep, Ezekiel is.
0: Yeah, I think he's talking about the Gentiles because you have to realize they were in complete darkness. Yeah. The light was given to the Jewish nation and they were the only ones that knew. So he's talking about us, those yeah. that have never been told. That would be the Gentiles. That we're us. Told. Yeah, it us. oh certainly. Because
1: Israel, Israel had all the prophecy. Yeah. Yeah. They had no excuse. I mean they, they shouldn't they, they had all of Isaiah, they had all of Ezekiel and uh, and the others. Uh, so it's it's us that it didn't have the the scriptures. It didn't they didn't have they
0: they were supposed to be that shining light that was on the hill that everyone was drawn to. Yeah. yeah. They were kind of holding it into ourselves and say, Oh, we're the chosen people of God, we're the only yeah. ones. Yeah. And God is no, there are others. Yeah, well it was
1: it was hard to see under that bushel basket.
2: Yeah. <laughs> you, you said this after the second coming. Yes. And it's not. It's the first coming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So the, the, at the first coming, Gentiles had not heard about Jesus at all. Um, and then like in the, um, I think it was Matthew or Mark, where they talked about the northern part of Israel, which <coughs> is kind of where Galilee and Nazareth was, a great light was seen. And that's where a lot of Gentiles were integrating mm-hmm. with uh, the Jews. and yeah, the Roman some Roman cities, some Roman towns. Yeah, and there was the promise that God made to
0: Abraham that all the nations, yeah, all the tongues and all the tribes and all the nations that,
3: people would, that he would draw people out yeah. of all of the world yeah. over yeah, time. Read, yeah. Yeah. yeah, and reading the verse by itself, and that's what one of one the things that context is key. Mm. I mean, reading the verse by itself Without getting a context, it it, it, it actually quit. Because the first time I'm reading the person, that's why I said this is the perfect time to ask about it. Because it it gets a different concept if we don't have that context. So thank you. Thank you
1: for that. Well, and we talk about the concept of the known world, right? But God understands the unknown world. Uh, There were people groups beyond the Greeks' knowledge and the Romans' knowledge. Uh, of their empire, there were people groups beyond that that God knew about that could be part of the other sheep as well that that they wouldn't have even thought about at the time.
2: There's also the fact that He's confronting Jews who had excluded all non-Jews from mm. being in the kingdom. Yeah. you know, when yeah. He says God so loved the world, they were like, "No, yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Was, uh-huh. yeah. what are you talking yeah. about? Yeah. Sheep from another tribe? What are you?" What? Yeah,
1: you don't let dogs in the house. Exactly. What up with that? Okay, okay. So Jesus then says, I must bring them. Not, I should bring them. Or, I ought to bring them. No, I must bring them. It's a necessity. And the reason for the necessity, we're told in Ephesians, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. Amen. Oh, amen indeed. Hallelujah. The miracle happened here. Now, Pastor Cole, whoop. Oh, no. First of all, he says they will hear. I'm going to call them. They're going to hear my voice. Well, the Greek word for hear here is akouo. And it means to listen, not as we would listen to music or listen to TV or something, but it's to listen so as to believe and to obey what is heard. It it has that emphasis to it, the word akuo. Now, Pastor Cole. Pastor Cole says, Jesus didn't die in vain. He died to secure the salvation of his sheep. Jesus didn't say, I hope these other sheep will listen to my voice, because I really want them in the flock. But, you know, it's up to them to decide. Now, there's no uncertainty in Jesus' words. It is certain. The Father gave them to Jesus. He died for them. And they will hear him and will come into the flock.
0: Yes. He will
1: none of them. Now, people... People who get heartburn over the doctrines of sovereign grace and predestination and election—they say, "Ah, this teaching will stifle evangelism. Why would people want to go out and witness to people or send out missionaries if the elect are going to be saved no matter what happens?" Well, the Bible answers its own quest- that question for us because God ordained the means as well as the end. Right? Uh, God tells us, go into all the world and preach the gospel to everyone. Why would he tell us to do that if it wasn't necessary to do? God has chosen the foolishness of preaching, the hearing of the word of God, to bring those other sheep into the flock. Uh, in Romans, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. Everyone who believes believes to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. We're the Greek. (laughs) We're the Greek. If you ever wanted to be Greek, we're Greek. We just got made Greek, Paul told us. (laughs) Later on in Romans, he says, my ambition has always been to preach the good news or the gospel where the name of Christ has not been heard. And that's what sent Paul into the far reaches. Some believe he might have even reached England, uh, certainly Spain and Gaul and other places like that. But uh, his motivation was to get the word to the people that hadn't heard. When he writes his second letter, letter to Timothy, he says, So I am willing to endure anything if it will bring salvation and eternal glory in Jesus Christ to those God has chosen. Oh, here we go. The paradox. Come, ye blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. This is a paradox that we will not understand fully until we enter into glory. It just is. A a wise man once told me that on the gate of heaven, on the outside of the gate, written over the door, it says, Come, whosoever will. But on the inside of the gate, written over the door, it says, Saved before the foundation of the world. And that's the paradox. How can that be? And we can only ponder it and thank God for it. Mm -hmm. So, getting to the end here. uh, When flocks became too large in Bible times, they would employ under-shepherds in order to care for the sheep because there were just too many for one shepherd to look after. And so, when Jesus knew that he would return to the Father, we read this in Ephesians. He gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. And in in Acts, they're cautioned, so guard yourselves and God's people. Feed and shepherd God's flock in his church. Purchased with his own blood. Mm. Over which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as leaders. As under shepherds. They are God's under shepherds. But when the chief shepherd appears. We shall receive the unfading crown of glory. At that time. All the nations will be gathered before him. And he will separate them one from another. As the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. In the book of Revelation. We're told by John. That when those saints that come out of great tribulation. Come before God. The, there another, the other paradox will be. The lamb on the throne will be their shepherd. The lamb on the throne. Before we saw the shepherd becomes the sacrificial lamb. Now the lamb becomes the great shepherd. And he will lead them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Now, Amen. we can't be talking about the good shepherd and the shepherd this and the shepherd that. We can't avoid this overworked and underappreciated passage. So if somebody will read that for us. Maybe with new understanding.
2: <coughs> Yahweh is my shepherd. I shall not want He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness. For his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will feel no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff comfort me. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. All the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of Yahweh forever. Amen Amen. Amen indeed. Amen indeed.
1: I think this has been so abused that we maybe shy away from it. But it is just the most wonderful. It's the most wonderful passage. Okay. So that's all I have for you. But I would leave us today with this benediction. Now the God of peace who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep. Through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus, our Lord, equip you in every good thing to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen.
0: Thank you for joining us for this Sunday School session on the I Am Statements of Jesus. For more information, visit our website at www.graceprovidencechurch.org.